And welcome back to the Back in Style podcast, the Twisted Mug Media Network's Twin Peaks podcast. I'm Logan. And I'm Matthew. And today we are going to be talking about episode episode 18 of season 2 of Twin Peaks, On the Wings of Love, guest starring uh, Billy Zane as John Justice Wheeler, Heather Graham as Annie Blackburn, and David Lynch as Gordon Cole. In uh, the flesh. Yes. I don't know if we've ever seen him on screen before in this role, have we? Um, Just over the phone. We've seen him on screen. Have we? Okay, that's yeah, good. Yeah. No, yeah, we've seen him multiple times, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah but I, not I wasn't for a while. sure. I couldn't quite remember. It's, it's been a while. Right, because he had the whole thing with the one-armed man. Yeah, okay. Yes. Who actually gets mentioned again in this episode. Yes, yes. So, Along with, like, a gazillion other things that happen. Absolutely wild episode. And yeah. really, really funny as well, I thought. Oh, completely, yeah. Uh, uh, so before we get too far into it, uh, the basic premise of, of our show is uh, if you're joining us for the first time, and, and you know, if you are, uh, welcome, and, and thanks for tuning in. Um, but I've seen the show before, and Matt has not, uh, and that's, uh, that's, it's been a really fun way to, to go through this series um, with that kind of, you know, one person guiding through it, one person uh, having it all be new to them. So uh, we will never spoil anything past the episode that we're on, um, which, which, as we said this week, is On the Wings of Love. Um, so just to, uh, you know, just, just to give us our, our statistics on the episode uh, uh, ratings on IMDb, uh, you know, we've been, we've been we we were kind of down in the dumps for a little while. We were uh, hit our hit our low point a couple weeks ago uh, with uh, a, a seven point four, and now this one we are back at an eight point one. Mm. Um, and I think you know, really great episode. It it feels like the old Twin Peaks, uh, and you know we we've been saying that more and more. I feel like I've been saying that a lot. This feels like the old Twin Peaks. Uh, you know, it's not the it's not just the blandness of, especially the Diane Keaton episode, which, mm. which is always disappointing. But uh, I, I feel like it's it's got its old charm back. What do you think? Oh, absolutely! Like, like for one, it's doing things. It's yeah. not stagnant like it was for so many episodes. So many developments are happening, especially in this episode. It seems to have its spunk back. It seems a lot more confident. We talked about in the previous episode how uh, Lynch and his team took six weeks off. Uh, in between episodes in order to just uh, revitalize the show, figure out what they were doing. And I think we can really see that pay off here. And I think that was a really smart decision. For sure. And I, I think the, the sort of symbolic representation of that is David Lynch coming back uh, in the flesh. He's on screen. He's, uh, you know, the, this this episode is credited to uh, Dwayne Dunham for directing credit. But I feel like just Lynch being on set and, you know, this is this is his show. This is his uh, project and I feel like that definitely comes through. Um, you know these quirky little moments like we like we've had in the pilot and in other uh, Lynch directed episodes. You know they they appear again and they're these the, these like unmistakably David Lynch decisions that I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of um, mm-hmm. later. But uh, do you, do you have anything else to add before we get right into the plot summary? No, I don't think so. Okay, so as I said, this is directed by Dwayne Dunham, written by Harley Payton and Robert Angles. Always good to see those two back. Yes. Uh, and edited by Paul Treo. So here we go. Oh, I almost forgot to say, I'm reading from The Essential Wrapped in Plastic, Pathways to Twin Peaks by John Thorne. Of course. Jones tries to strangle Truman, but he knocks her out. Truman and Cooper believe Eckert was jealous and wanted Truman dead. Gordon Cole arrives with the Wyndham Earl dossier. Earl listens to their conversation through a bug he pl- he placed in the Truman's 
in the Truman's office. <laughs> in Truman's office. Sorry, John Thorne, that was badly written. Cole reports that Earl was on haloperidol, the same drug used by the one-armed man, to fake his illness. Earl was working on Project, Project Blue Book. I'm floating here. Project Blue Book, <laughs> investigating UFOs. Cole reinstates Cooper into the FBI. Earl says he will kill the winner of the Miss Twin Peaks contest. Donna sees her mother meet Ben. Eileen and Ben discuss their old relationship. Audrey and Donna spy on them. Cooper sketches the tattoo symbols. Annie flirts with Cooper. She notices Cooper's sketch and says it looks like the symbol from Owl Cave. Also, it doesn't mention, but that's the same scene where the Gordon and Shelley stuff is going on. Yes. Donna asks her father about Eileen and Ben. Hayward brushes the whole... He brushes the whole thing off. Audrey bumps into a disguised Earl at the library. Cooper and Truman examine Pete's latest chess move, uh, then leave to explore Owl Cave. Goodness, this is tough for me right now. I don't know why. Ben offers Audrey a partnership in his business. Wheeler tells Ben he is falling in love with Audrey. Hawk, Andy, Truman, and Cooper explore Owl Cave. They find the symbol sketched on the cave wall. They find a stone handle in the wall. Annie is amazed and stunned at being out of the convent. Uh, she tells Cooper that she failed before and is afraid it will happen again. Cooper offers to help. Earl enters Owl Cave and turns the handle. The cave wall begins to shake. And that is the episode that is now titled On the Wings of Love. Um, any any just initial thoughts on this episode? Uh, uh, we, we've talked a little bit before, but, but anything to add about this? Yeah, I was really taken aback at uh, just kind of the craziness of this episode. Uh, it's certainly a lot... I mean, Twin Peaks has always been silly and, and fun, but this this one had a bit of a different vibe to it, where there were they were uh, working with a lot of different characters, a lot of different relationships going on. We talked about Gordon and Shelley. Uh, we have John Justice Wheeler confessing his love for Audrey to Ben. We've got more developments with Annie uh, and Cole. Definitely a lot of romantic things going on here. I mean, the title itself is called "On the Wings of Love." Um, so, so yeah, I mean, we've talked before in previous episodes how every so often Twin Peaks gets a little horny and we get one of these very, <laughs> very, like, sexual with a lot of romantic uh, interest episodes, and this is one of them. But I think this is uh, a great episode, uh, absolutely. Yeah, even without James in the town, the horny spirit lives on. Yeah, and they bring up James, and I totally forgot about him, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, I, I was happy for a couple episodes because I forgot about him. Your legacy, um, it lives on, sir. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's always been a little bit silly with these very dark undertones, and for a while, in season two, we didn't have any of that, you know, that really deep darkness. There was some kind of, you know, superficial nonsense that, that they tried to, you know, this Nikki stuff, uh, Lana oh God, maybe Nikki. being That's supernatural. Right. Right, Nikki. Whatever happened to Nikki? Um, and and just these just these weird plots that were you know lacked any kind of depth. And uh, I think this this marks the return. I think of you know real depth, real substance, uh, real good Twin Peaks. Yes, completely. Um, so throughout uh, throughout trying to schedule uh, when we were going to record this podcast, we ended up. Uh, we're now recording an hour and a half later than we had originally planned. Uh, uh, Matt wanted to move it later, and then and I had absolutely no issue with that. And then I wanted to move it later, uh, and then you know Matt needed a couple extra minutes. So, <laughs> and this basically always happens this with always the podcast. Happens. But the the reason that I bring this up this is kind of a, a part of the kimono, as Brendan likes to say, of showing you what goes on behind the scenes in the twisted mug. 
uh, uh, group chats and, and whatnot. But the reason that I wanted to push mine back is that I realized I have every Twin Peaks episode and Firewalk with me and The Return and a bunch of other like exclusive stuff and deleted stuff uh, uh, in, in disc form, in Blu-ray form, uh, with the Twin Peaks Z-A box set. Um, and I haven't been using it. I've just been watching it on Netflix, uh, which is, you know, I mean, that's the easiest way to watch it. But uh, that is how I had been watching it all along. And I realized, you know, why not, uh, you know, why not just, just get out the old disc? I'll, I'll watch it on my, my big screen in my basement here uh, rather than on my, you know, my tiny little lap, laptop screen. Yeah which I usually do. Um, and I, I noticed some special features, and I wanted to check them out. Uh, now, there are a lot of interviews. There's this whole big grid of interviews, first of all, that's Ooh. that's on each of these discs. Uh, it has, you know, it's got, like, a, probably a list of, like, 10 or 12 actors, um, and then uh, it's it's got a grid of, like, they talk about, I don't know. They talk about different things. They talk about their character. They talk about the show. They talk about whatever else, uh, you know, the production, something like that. Um, and so, so that's one of the special features. Another special feature, though, when I selected this episode, was a Log Lady intro. Do you know anything about the Log Lady intros? Absolutely not. Please tell. Okay, so they were recorded in 1993 uh, when Twin Peaks was uh, being syndicated for Bravo. This is my understanding of it. Okay. Um, and that that I found on on the Twin Peaks wiki, um, but yeah, so they recorded it after the fact, and they sort of uh, uh, indirectly tie in to the the subject matter of the episode. Um, and so I watched it. It's it's just all it is. It's like uh, you know a minute long maybe, and it's just the log lady sitting in front of a fire with a log. She's holding her log like she always does, and just saying like. You know, just saying like a paragraph of some like vaguely worded uh, questions and adages. So, I thought it might be fun if if I read that to you and we sort of keep that in mind throughout the whole course of the episode. Absolutely. Yeah, she did this for each episode. Yeah, every episode. Oh, this is great. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, totally. I I don't know if they're available on YouTube or something. That would be that would be worth like looking up. Um, you know, for for those that don't like have the the box set, I know it's a kind of rare, rare thing to have. But um, yeah, so so hopefully there's some way uh, for you, for you and for our listeners who might not have this box set to watch it. Um, but you know, for for now, I guess we'll just be uh, I'll I'll just be reading these, and I'm 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 not going to try to do any any log lady impression, so I'll spare you from that. But oh, uh, this is the this is the paragraph that she reads. The beautiful thing about treasure is that it exists. It exists to be found. How beautiful it is to find treasure. Where is the treasure that, when found, leaves one eternally happy? I think we all know it exists. Some say it is inside us. Inside us one and all. That would be strange. It would be so near. And why is it so hard to find and so difficult to attain? And that's the whole thing. It's just, I love it. It's like, it's a minute long. It's succinct. It's got like this David Lynch, like quirky ambiguity. Um, so my first thought was with treasure, you know, there's of course this whole uh, owl cave spelunking expedition and mm -hmm. it kind of, it kind of seems like a treasure hunt. Um, but this talk of, of, you know, the, 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 the treasure that leaves us eternally happy uh, being inside us 
I, I think, and combined with the episode title that was added later, I think it's talking about love, and we have mm-hmm. these connections in this episode. Uh, Cooper connects with Annie. Gordon Cole connects with Shelley. Uh, in a very strange turn of events. Um, so, you, uh, wh- what are your thoughts on, on how this applies? And we can, of course, talk about this throughout the whole episode, but just initially, what are your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. And also, I just looked it up, and all of them are on YouTube. Oh, good. So you can go check them out. But, um, yeah, I, I would say, I, the first thing that came to my mind was also the love, and because it, it seems like everyone in this episode is looking for affection, looking for some are moving on from relationships. Uh, we have a Truman moving on, and he's kind of uh, getting back to work and recovering, and it seems like maybe he's going to try to find... You know, in the, in the beginning of the episode, this woman is, is trying to seduce him. But then we have Cooper, you know, and he's had this tragedy with Caroline in his past, trying to find this treasure in this woman. Yeah, th- that's what my mind went to. And, and I guess we'll find out what's up with the cave and if there is some sort of what, what secret lies within there. But, yeah, that's interesting. I, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's cool. So hopefully I'm, – I'm glad you liked it. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be reading those off uh, for each episode moving forward. Uh, they they do not exist for the return, uh, which is too bad. But you know they they exist from you know everything from the pilot to the season two finale. So obviously I I wish I had started doing this earlier. Um, but certainly when we go back to talk about the pilot, uh, I'll I'll read that intro then, and so we can kind of have a new lens for uh, for that pilot. But yeah, definitely. Let's get right into to talking about this plot and. Uh, uh, so there's just this opening scene. We just need to talk about Jones right now, and then we never need to mention her again. I don't think. But this this it's it's is this like perfume that she's putting on Harry's mouth to okay. make him think that she's Josie? Here's the first thing I have to say. I don't know if you noticed this in the last episode that we recorded, but I thought this was Ben <laughs> because. I, like the, <laughs> so I went back and rewatched the end of last episode. Yeah. And all you see is Truman kind of sitting on his side, and him and Ben kind of have the same curly same dark hair, hair yeah. look. And I completely thought that was Ben for the entire time that we recorded last episode. Interesting. So I so this episode started and they showed Truman in bed and I was so confused because I I had no idea. I just didn't piece it together. They're like, oh, that was a bookhouse boy like guarding him. Yeah. I so he I was sleeping completely his, yeah. completely mixed up the characters there. Um, wow! So my speculations at the end of last episode were a little bit inaccurate, but yeah. Okay, yeah. I uh, know. I was wondering. Yeah, I remember you talking about <laughs> maybe she's working for Catherine or something, and I was like, "What? How is this? How how does Catherine and Ben play into this?" But yeah, if you thought that was Ben, okay. So that's fair. Yes. Um, but to be fair, I think that explanation would make a lot more sense than the one that we do get, mm-hmm. uh, where they say that Eckert just wanted him dead because of sexual jealousy. And then they move on. I don't really And then they just move that. on. This is never mentioned again. Um, because Harry slept with Josie and Eckert wanted Josie. Yeah. So he sent his... But Eckert is dead. Yeah, Eckert is dead. But he Wait, was with yes, this is. woman, so it was this woman's sexual jealousy that she was getting back at him? I don't know. I, this was one of the scenes in the episode. I was glad that it was in the beginning, because then I could kind of just forget about it. Yeah. I thought I thought it was kind of kind of pointless. But yeah, some sort of perfume, poison. And then but then she just tries to kill him. Like she tries to strangle yeah. him. With the wire like 
why did she have to get into bed with him at the end of the last episode? And then why did she have to make him think that she was Josie just to kill him in the end? Just to make him grieve more would be my guess. I guess, but but then he's going to die anyway, so, like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe she wanted... (laughs) Maybe the the potion was supposed to last longer and was supposed to look like Josie was killing him. Uh, Maybe. I don't know. Either way, I don't really. Like, it it was weird. It it definitely set an interesting tone for this episode. Um, If you've got a... Yeah. If you've got a good answer for what the hell Jones is doing, or you just want to share in our frustration, you can DM us on Instagram or Twitter at TwistedMugMedia, or email us at TwistedMugMedia at gmail.com, and of course we'll say all that again at the end. Yes, absolutely. Um, But yeah, it's it's weird, but then, you know, other than the the brief mention of it later, of Eckert's sexual jealousy, uh, it doesn't get mentioned again. (laughs) Um, So, the next scene. uh, uh, we, We have a couple... Our first couple of the episode. Oh. Uh, Audrey and John Justice Wheeler. Audrey comes in. She's flirting about room service. And then I really like John Justice Wheeler goes like, he, he, I forget what the line is, but he's like, do you remember your grandfather? And she's like trying trying to flirt. But then he just brings up her, her presumably dead grandfather. But then he kind of flirts using that. Like this, this guy's got a lot of game. He's got a... And- can we say this man's outfit in this scene Oof. oh my goodness he comes in with this black white and red striped sweater tucked into these green His glasses pants. i mean why was this man not walking down that dick tremaine fashion show this yeah. was a good look no one else could pull this off yeah other like, than john justice wheeler he this is this is a good looking man this yeah. is one attractive man, <laughs> <laughs> and and his his banter about hammer and nails doesn't hurt either. He's hey, he's pretty charming. All I'm saying is, if you're gonna bring the hammer, you better bring the nails. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, I love I love this scene. It's just it's so fun to watch and yeah. and to listen to, and it's so well written. And that's why it's so much better than the Donna and James stuff because it is mm. cheesy. But they're both interesting people, and they're both not just head over heels in love with each other. They both are, but they both go about it in interesting ways because Audrey is a manipulative, kind of sneaky person, and John is sort of flirty and very attractive and also very quirky and humorous, and I love the way they dance around it and stuff. Yeah, it's fantastic. So we'll talk more about them later, but uh, I want to move on to another really funny scene. Uh, Cooper's Cure for a Hangover. Which comes up multiple times, which apparently Gordon Cole <laughs> yeah. does as well. <laughs> it's it's a brilliant bit that they that they keep going where Cooper's talking about you know strained tomato juice and oysters and anchovies and uh, basically his plan is just to make Truman throw up, uh, which works, unsurprisingly. It, I wanted to does. throw up. Yeah, no, definitely. Poor man, Truman is just stumbling around this entire episode while Gordon shouts in his ear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I mean, then then you know the two of them come uh, to to the the to as this book calls it the Truman's office. Ah, yes, um, the Truman, the Truman's office, and uh, Will Hayward is there. Uh, <laughs> I love the exchange about uh, it's the the bonsai, the ultimate miniature. And then Cooper says, bicarbonate of soda, the ultimate digestive aid. <laughs> I love the writing in this episode. It's yeah. so funny. Yeah. It's great. Sh- shout out Harley Payton and Bob Angles. Really just... great. So good. Um, 
And then, and yeah, then Will tells them the two of them about uh, his visit from Wyndham Earl. He believes Wyndham Earl was at his house, and he has the next chess move. Um, that that was delivered, of course, in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure it. Well, I don't know. I don't know anything about chess. So when it says like, I forget what the move is. It's like king to what bishop three or something i don't even know what that means knight to king bishop three knight to king bishop three i have no idea what that means in terms of chess to me it sounds like he's just taken another piece two two king's bishop it seems like but there are only two bishops so i don't know what king's bishop three is if if you have tips on if you have tips on what what how to you know name chess moves like this again reach out to us please um but yeah so i i don't necessarily understand that but i guess he didn't take another piece because no one dies yeah i don't think he he has yet because no one has that idea yeah um but a a really interesting scene with you know the, the everything in the truman's office uh, happening and this dialogue going on and then also Wyndham Earl listening to it on the other end and kind of freaking out um, and you know because he's just because he, he planted the, the microphone on the bonsai um, which is which leads to a great comedic moment later where where Gordon Cole yells into the bonsai um, so, so let's talk about Cole he says that he's been in Bend, Oregon uh, and I love his lines about sausage. Absolutely hilarious. Amazing. Yep. Um, and then we we kind of get a connection uh, from Briggs to Wyndham Earl uh, yes. through Project Blue Book, which was the project that Briggs was working on that he says was confidential, and, and mm-hmm. they studied uh, strange satellite junk messages that came from space. And mm-hmm. I did not expect this uh, at all. I just assumed assumed that Earl was working in the same department as Cooper and Cole and the FBI. But this definitely adds a twist to it. And they also bring up that um, was it that Earl was on the same drug that Gerard was on? Yes, Halliburton. Yes. Yep. Wait, and so he was how faking his badness. How did they figure that out? Did they have a medical report from a long time ago? Or yeah, I think so. Because that that was the kind of like the secret dossier about Wyndham Earl. That was like the classified parts that he let uh, Cooper read then. Yes, correct. And the reason he let Cooper read it is that Cooper is getting reinstated into the FBI. Mm, yes. Um, and it's just, this is so symbolic for me. Like he's been in these, uh, I think as as Albert calls them, these earth tones. And uh, he, he once again, he trades it in uh, for the suit and tie. Uh, it's just... David Lynch's return to this show after being away for so long, it's, I mean, you, you, you see instantly, uh, the uptick in quality that's only going to keep getting better. Uh, you know, his, his physical return on the screen as Gordon Cole and, uh, you know, getting Cooper back in the old uniform. It's just, uh, it's, it's perfect. It's just, it's such a great representation of where the show is headed and the significance of David Lynch actually being in this episode and on set for this episode. Yes, completely agree. Um, and and he yells into the bonsai microphone, and you know, Wyndham <laughs> Earl, of course, is, is his his earbuds, I guess, kind of wreck his eardrums. But yep, you know. Um, so then there's a very interesting scene uh, with Wyndham and Leo, just kind of 
you know, generic, the evil guy fleshing out his evil plan a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the big revelation of this, because we know that he has Donna, Audrey, and Shelley um, as, as his potential queens, uh, but then he plans to kill Miss Twin Peaks. Um, and he says that Cooper is going to get to watch. Um, what do you think about this? Because I, I noticed something this time around that I think is really cool. Okay, so first I was surprised that he didn't include Annie in the list because I thought he, something was going to happen with that because he kind of gave her and Cooper that stare last episode. But that's all right. I want their relationship to stay untouched. <laughs> so he's got Donna, Audrey, and Shelley. And if I'm reading this correctly, he's going to he's assuming that all three are going to enter the Miss Twin Peaks contest, and then he's going to basically let the people decide who he's going to kill. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of been buttering up all of them. Like he he flirted with Shelley when he was disguised as a biker. Um, he sort of flirts with uh, Audrey in this episode uh, as as the the professor or whatever. Um, and I forget the professor's name. And then he also, you know, Donna with Donna in the last episode, he was like, you're such a beautiful young woman. So I think he's trying to like manipulate them into doing this. And also later on, we see Donna receive, uh, mail, which says Miss Twin Peaks on it. Yes. Right. So, but we never see, I think Audrey talk about it at all or anything. No, we don't. Not yet. Not yet at least. But so what I really like about this scene and what I, why I love having Leo there with him, uh, just mm-hmm. to add to the interesting dynamic between the two of them, the fact that uh, uh, Wyndham is going to kill whoever wins Miss Twin Peaks and Shelley is going to enter Miss Twin Peaks, this gives Leo direct stakes in that. Because um, even though like he was very abusive, like I, I feel like he still he still loves her. Like kind of in this catatonic state, he's still very connected to her. Um, he's still, you know, even if, even if like he doesn't love her, uh, uh, there's still a connection there. So now Leo has stakes in this and he's still under Gordon Cole's kind of slavery or not Gordon Cole, Wyndham Earl. Turn of events. Okay. So that's interesting because I actually read it the other way because what you're saying is that maybe he won't want Shelly to get picked because he wouldn't Hmm. want Wyndham Earl to kill her. What I was thinking was, oh, now uh, Earl will be able to use Leo more because, you know, if, if and then if Shelly is picked, then Leo will want to kill her is, is what I thought. And that's there's other parts in the uh, episode that kind of point to Shelly being the one that's going to get picked and killed. But but that's interesting to see which way it goes because, like you said, that would actually involve Leo in a very meaningful way if, you know, if he tried to thwart Earl's plans or... Or maybe stop Earl from doing it and do it himself. Yeah, I'd be interested to see where this goes. Yeah, uh, well, so let's talk about uh, a different queen for a little while, Donna. Um, And she follows her mother into the Great Northern. You know, I I just want to take a minute. Sometimes my transitions from scene to scene are really spot on. And that was a great move. Sometimes I'm like, well, let's talk about this now. But sometimes I do a really smooth one. So, you know. (laughs) <laughs> uh, not to pat myself on the back too much, but, you know, uh, every that so was pretty often, good. Every so often we get it right. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, anyway, Donna follows her mother into the Great Northern, uh, and there's this very funny min- miniature interaction uh, that we see Mr. and Mrs. Hinkman, a.k.a. Mike and Nadine, checking out of the hotel. 
the concierge says, how, is it, how was everything? And Mike says, unbelievable. Uh, and I just find it so funny that, uh, you know, Donna and Mike are there interacting. They used to date, uh, you know, Mike is still in high school, and here he's spending his time with Nadine. Um, it, it's just so funny to me. I love, this, I love the dynamic and how, how goofy Mike's character is now. Oh, it, it's fantastic! Yeah, and this I confirms even... this confirms what we thought. They are both into it. They are both fully involved in this relationship. Yeah, I might even say that Mike is kind of a weenie now. He may have taken the status of weenie. Yeah, I think I mean, that's true. Because Pete's been really useful in the chess game. I don't know he if has. he's a weenie anymore. I know uh, uh, Pete has a very a very practical Mike. usage. Yeah. Yeah. So M- Mike is. Mike has given Pete a, a run for his weenie money. Let's just say that. Um, Ryan will be disappointed to know that that Mike might now be number one weenie because he was really pulling for Pete. But oh, that's true. Um, but so so Audrey kind of comes to the front desk. Uh, they talk. Donna talks to her, and I, I like seeing these two together again. Uh, it's a it's a fun fun character pairing. Uh, not that unusual. We've seen it before. Um, but again, kind of two circles that don't really meet that much. Um, but their their parents, you know, are having some kind of deal thing. I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm not sure what to say about this. Yeah, um, and is it is it their okay? So <laughs> I guess this leads us into uh, you know this scene with Mrs. Hayward and Ben. Yeah. So is it their parents? Is that Donna's parents? Ben and Mrs. Hayward, because the entire time I was watching this at the end of the scene, the conclusion I took from this was, is Donna Ben's daughter? <laughs> and obviously I can't answer that, but yeah. <laughs> but, but I, that is the speculation that I had at the end of this. I don't know if I was reading into it wrong or what, but that's that's what I took away from this. It's, uh... Because in the scene where she's yeah. talking with Audrey... I was literally like, "Oh my gosh, they look! Wow, they look so similar!" Wow, what, <laughs> and then they, it goes they, they to the scene and forth. <laughs> yeah, and then it goes back to the scene where they're, you know, they're talking about like that night and how they can't tell anyone. And then Ben gets like a little rapey. Yes, uh, it's weird. And then yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, it, it's a very interesting dynamic and a very interesting two circles that are kind of meeting now. Um, and just skipping ahead in the episode because it doesn't, you know doesn't really relate that much. Uh, but but later when Donna asks her father about it, Will says that Eileen and Ben probably just are working on charity stuff together. Uh, they talked about it that morning. Um, what, do, what do you make of this? If, if, if your theory is correct, is Will in on it? Is he trying to hide it? Is he oblivious? Uh, what's your, your speculation? It seems like he's trying to hide it. Because in the beginning, it seemed like he truly did not know. But then once Donna walks away, you kind of see this look on his face like, oh, no, she's figuring out. So I, I, I don't know where this is going to go. But this episode ended and I was like, OK, are Donna and Audrey like half half siblings? Like mm. what what is happening? You know, did, did Ben and Mrs. Hayward have some fling back in the day before she met Will and they can't tell anyone? Yeah, I mean, if it's not that, they're surely they're definitely making it seem uh, they're pointing it in that direction. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, th- this is also the scene where uh, we get that Just You inter- instrumental playing again with the guitar uh, as Donna gets the letter from James. And 
I didn't realize until I read it in this book, uh, but we've talked a lot about, uh, well, not that much. We've talked once before about how the timing of these episodes doesn't exactly always work, um, and how, like, you know, two weeks of, like, airtime, or I guess even more since since the episode that James left, uh, since they had that whole six-week hiatus, um, it really only translates to, like, three days. Like, the, how the the episodes are basically supposed to be days in Twin Peaks, uh, which is really weird to think about, and especially because we've been talking about it for so long. Um, but, yeah, so this, uh, apparently, uh, James drove away from Twin Peaks on Tuesday, and by Wednesday, he was apparently already in San Francisco, which is 820 miles from Seattle, and presumably even more from Twin Peaks. And somehow he got a card to Donna in just one day. And while the original episodes... Oh, while the original episodes aired almost two months apart, February 16th and April 4th, only two days have passed on the show. So that presents a little more of a problem here. The, the writers were like, well, it's been like almost two months. James should probably send a postcard, when in reality it's been a day. Yeah, he's been absolutely booking it all the way to California. Yeah. And I gotta say, I was... I genuinely forgot about James um, <laughs> as a character. But I, I remember... I mean, because last time we saw him was at the picnic where he said, okay, I gotta, lo- I gotta leave. And they basically said, we're gonna, we're gonna go on break for a bit in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I speculated that maybe he will be gone for the rest of the season until like the finale so i wonder if i wonder if that's gonna happen because it i mean he said he's making his way down to mexico so mexico, i don't expect yeah. him to come back anytime soon so I, this is interesting yeah if, if he did it would be another huge miscalculation in in time and distance um <laughs> but i i want to get to just talking about the heart of the episode this scene snuggled right in the middle uh with these two couples brilliant scene at the diner uh, just uh, everything about this scene is fantastic. The writing is great. The chemistry between all of these actors is great. Uh, all of the performances are amazing. Uh, uh, and so let's just let, let's just talk about this. So yeah. so Gordon and uh, uh, Truman and Cooper all enter the Double R Diner together, uh, and and Gordon immediately looks over at Shelley, uh, who's who's working. Uh, at, at, at the counter, and he says, that's the kind of girl to make you wish you spoke a little French. <laughs> I, just all of David Lynch's dialogue, I wouldn't be surprised if he just wrote all of this himself, because it's just, it's perfect. It's perfectly written. It's so great. And, and him and Cooper cap off every single interaction they have with either a thumbs up, a shaking of the hand, or some sort of, you know, tip of the hat or something. That I yeah. love it. Everything's so official, and, uh, and oh, it's great. The, those two together, acting together, I cannot imagine what it would have been like for those two. They're just, it's it's so much fun to watch them on screen. Yeah. Work together. Um, and, and Gordon finally stops yelling because he can understand Shelly uh, without his hearing aids. She seems to be the only one in the world. Yeah, which is interesting. I, I didn't expect this to happen. It's, uh... I mean, it's a, he has a very weird way of, of flirting with her, but that was kind of cute. I was like, oh, he can hear her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some and sort she's of special like, connection. And she's, like, into it by the end. She's smiling. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, yeah, I, I, love, the, I love the two of these characters. Um, and 
Uh, later on, we get a little bit of a mention that they're going to Doc Hayward's house to, for what a tuning fork test or something. Yeah, she's bringing um, him to the doctors. Yeah, the the old tuning fork test. I think they say. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what that means, but maybe maybe his hearing uh, will be will be repaired. But uh, uh, meanwhile, Cooper and Truman are arguing if that's a chickadee or a finch on the Dodge Dart outside. And Annie settles the yeah. debate. It's a chickadee on a Dodge Dart. And these two characters together, just so delightfully awkward. Uh, just this puts such a big smile on my face. I love Cooper trying to tell a joke, the penguin joke. And then, you know, and then... Truman uh, uh, asking him or, or, or saying like, uh, you just tried to tell her a joke and Cooper's like, I did? Um, it's j- I love the two of them in this scene. They're it's absolutely, so absolutely adorable. Like, seeing Cooper, I mean, he's always had this kind of like childlike presence about him with, with how happy and oversized excited he gets about things and it's just like absolutely adorable to see him so enamored with this woman and i completely agree the uh the 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 joke part is just so good i love the cuts to truman who's just eyeing both of them like all right i know what's going on (laughs) it's also not a funny joke at all yeah (laughs) it's like he told the punchline and i was like Oh, okay. But but since it was, he was the one who delivered in this context, I, I I found it to be very funny. Ben Horn's uh, Norwegian joke was much better. I oh, so true. Um, but there's a there's a brilliant and and touching and like just made me feel so warm inside. There's this callback in this scene uh, where you know in in the pilot or one of the really early episodes, um, Truman and Truman has some interaction, I think, with Josie, um, and Cooper says, how long have you been in love with her? Uh, and he, he just knows right away. And then, of course, there's a whole thing with Big Ed and Norma at the double R, and Cooper Cooper says to Big Ed right when they have their first interaction, how long have you been in love with her? And then uh, Michael Ankeen, uh, Sheriff Truman, gets to spin that around on Cooper in this episode, and he says that exact line, and it's just so great. Everything Aww, about this. That, that is great. And it's also, it's nice because you see Truman kind of back to his old self. You, see, you can see Truman healing in all of these scenes. Yeah. Um, you know, seeing his best friend have this great time with this woman. Like, you can see him being happy again, which is so great. Although with he, the whole episode, I don't know if you noticed, he had the scar on his neck from where, where he was strangled. And Annie has the scar on her wrist. I'm surprised this episode wasn't called Wounds and Scars. But that was oh, last week. You're right. You're right. Someone mixed it up. <laughs> Someone must have mixed it up. Um, although I doubt the last one was on the wings of love. If <laughs> That'd be I don't think that would have applied very much. But um, so so Gordon Cole <laughs> in another one of his interactions I have in my notes he has he just has pie all over his face. It's all over his mouth. But he wants massive massive quantities. Um, so that he can, and then he wants to write an epic poem about the yes, pie. I think he says, <laughs> "Yeah, it's it's awesome." Uh, and then Annie mentions Owl Cave, uh, which she somehow knows about. I guess she grew up in Twin Peaks, so she might have known about it. Um, mm-hmm. She mentions Owl Cave after Cooper draws the uh, the symbol. Um, so what do you? Th- so uh, okay, I'll I'll just I'll just give it away now. Owl Cave 
is the thing that I was talking about uh, in previous episodes that like Owl Cave is a big part of the overall Twin Peaks lore um, and it's weird to, it's always weird to me how late it gets introduced um, you know we have we have this episode we have what four more episodes after this this is 18 so yeah 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 so um, not not many more uh, to kind of explore Owl Cave and, and all of the all of the lore behind that. Um, huh. Interesting. I I didn't know that there was, this was this was a play a big a pretty big player in this. Yeah. Well, so they get there. Uh uh let's eh. Okay. We'll do we'll do the other lesser stuff first, but there's a, a scene with the library that we we alluded to a little bit with uh Audrey and Wyndham. And now mm-hmm. earlier in the day when she was talking to John Justice Wheeler, she said that she was going to the library to have a meeting with her father. But then I don't think she does. I don't know. That's just a little discrepancy. Maybe she just had to go there to get a book. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Because that was the line earlier. She said she had to go to the library to meet with her father. But then she doesn't do that. And she meets instead with uh, Wyndham Earl in this, in his fifth disguise, I think. I, I believe so. Was this the disguise you were talking about or no? The, the one that is oh, your no. favorite? No. Nope. My favorite is okay, still to come. Okay, it's coming up. This is okay, number five. Yep, my favorite is still to come. It might be. Yeah. It might actually be his last uh, disguise that is my favorite. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, e- even more than the than the physical disguise here, I just love the character that he embodies. Yeah. Like this very old, wise, kind of charming old professor. Um, what is it? He says was, like, like it is incumbent on the youth to disobey. Yes, because she, she's researching books for civil disobedience. Is yeah. what it is. Very timely. Uh, Yes, as it, we're as we're uh, recording this right now, I don't know when this is coming out, but we're recording this early June, so do the math. Very true. So yeah, I, I think this is a really funny scene. But the interesting note here is that, you know, he he sees that she's got the poem, and he recognizes, okay, this is the poem that I sent to her, right? And he asks her to read it instead, so then he can point out the author. Yeah. And the author is Shelley, as in Perse Bryce Shelley. Right. But Shelley, as in waitress Shelley, which, yes. like, there seems to be all these clues to me that's, that leads to, okay, Shelley is going to win the contest. Considering she was the one who, you know, we first found out about the contest with, contest with I, I, I'm assuming that's where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's always strange to me that, that Shelley the poet and Shelley the waitress have the same name. That's, uh, it's kind of an interesting connection, but... Yeah, it's good. It's good you pointed that out. I think, um, and I don't know if you noticed this. Was the scene really blurry for you, or just the opening shot? Just the opening shot was, and of the I, two of them. I think. I mean, it's probably just like they pro- it, they couldn't remaster one shot of it. One shot yeah. was lost or something. You think? Yeah, I, maybe. I, I can't see how that would be intentional. It, it feels kind of weird. Yeah, no, definitely not intentional. But I, I, yeah. I was wondering if the Netflix version had it too. I, I, th- I thought I remembered that it did, but again, I, like I said, I was watching on my Blu-ray disc, so yeah, uh, it but was, what, it was especially noticeable. What it did make me think of was, oh, I guess that's how it looked when it came out on TV in the '90s. You know, right? If yeah. You're watching it on a you know smaller TV, not super HD, early '90s. I guess that's how it looked, which is interesting. I guess so. Yeah. I mean that's it's kind of the same quality as the the log lady intros if you watch them are very low res um and so I guess that's kind of 
that's probably how they looked. I get. I I assume they didn't remaster the Log Lady intros. They probably just kept them, yeah, uh, the way they were. But uh, so again, uh, speaking of Shelley, uh, Annie and Shelley have a little conversation uh, about the what? What are they even talking about here? I don't know. Oh, they um, talk about Annie, Cooper. Yeah, Annie is asking for information about Cooper. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh, are you interested?" And she's like, "No, not at all." Yeah, it's a nice scene. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they, they follow up on that later because Annie and Cooper have a scene later. But um, mm-hmm. let's talk about let's talk about this last scene uh, with John Justice Wheeler and Ben. Uh, or, or rather, first Ben and Audrey, where he offers her a business partnership and apologizes for being a, quote, sleazy, rapacious heel. Yeah, this is such a weird scene because... So Ben's kind of in this new phase, right? This is the post-confederacy phase <laughs> new ben. um th- this is ben's antebellum phase so he is <laughs> he he's some new he's a good guy right he's turning his life around but like we know that he's kind of uh you know his heart's obviously not in this whole weasel restoration campaign and even in this scene i, I kind of bought it for a bit because he was like hey you know i'm trying to save you i'm, try- uh, I'm trying to be a better father but then like the you know he just offers her like a business partnership which just seems really shallow you know what i mean yeah. if you're trying to restore a relationship with your daughter and like already in the scene we had before where ben gets really weird and overly touchy with uh, mrs hayward it just mm. cast him in a weird light this entire episode i agree ben's character is all over the place and actually uh richard bamer in this in this book in one of the interviews he says i think ben horn changed more than anyone on the show he went through more experiences of change the other characters did not. He was a southern general. He was all over the place. Most other folks, the sheriff and others, stayed the same. So it was great fun. I had no idea it was going that way. And <laughs> and, and he's right. I mean, it, it, or, uh, Ben Horn's character is all over the place. So many different so many different kind of character character traits, character arcs for him. Really really interesting. Yeah. It'll be another one that'll be cool to see when we revisit the pilot uh, what we think of him. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so two, two uh, kind of like what I see to be like trademark Lynch things in the, in this episode, directing choices or in rather in the scene. Um, and the fir- first is Johnny uh, shooting fake buffalo with his fake bow and arrow outside. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while in this scene, we just hear him screaming and we hear a little toy arrow hitting a wooden buffalo. Uh, and, and I love this. this is a great like it's this very rhythmic you know it happens like every 45 seconds or so maybe um, throughout this scene it adds like just a just a tiny hint of comedy uh, into the scene and the other thing that I thought was really funny and off the wall that we've actually seen before but Ben Horn munching on a giant carrot we, we saw this before when he was in like a purple and red tracksuit uh, that was really funny, and I but I love this because not only is he munching on a carrot, he has one readily available that he just whips out of nowhere and hands it to John Justice Wheeler when they're talking. And it's right after he says he confesses his love for Audrey, yep. which is so funny. He kind of laughs, and he goes, Ha-ha, what a world we live in, and he, <laughs> he hands him the carrot. But and they I, have this companionship moment with the carrot. <laughs> I really love the two of these actors together and the two of the characters together. I think it's a, it's just a really satisfying scene to watch from, you know, from an acting perspective and from a writing perspective. 
Uh, yeah, it, it's fantastic. Yeah, really cool scene. Um, so the the main thing that we have left to talk about is Owl Cave. This sort of comes in between some Owl Cave stuff. Um, but so Andy and Lucy have a little scene where Andy is spelunking from the ceiling. He's kind of coming down, and they have their whole dialogue. I feel like probably in the original script, this was just a conversation that they had. And then Lynch was like, no, let's have him come down from the ceiling. And he does that the entire scene. And it's expertly pulled off. Uh, I, I should say, I, I don't know that that's the real story. I just think that that's probably, <laughs> it probably wants something like that. But it is expertly pulled off by Harry Goaz and Kimmy Robertson. They just, you know, always, always flawless with these two. Yeah, no, it's a great scene. Uh, I love how slowly it takes him to get down. And it, uh, I guess the one note here is that they both agree that, like, wow, Dick is kind of a jerk and he's not a nice guy. So they're kind of, you know, falling more in love towards each other. Yeah, right. They're more on the same on the same page now. Yes. Yeah. Um, so they, they go into Owl Cave. Uh, that This is after the John Justice Wheeler scene. They go into Owl Cave, and there's this owl that starts flying around like crazy. Uh, I think it looks kind of ridiculous. Uh, the way the... I don't even know what kind of effect this is, so I'm not going to try to explain it. But uh, the, the way the owl looks is kind of funny. But I think it ultimately creates a very scary scene. We know that owls are... Owls are, you know, representative of some great evil in the woods. But also... Owls are just kind of scary. Like they have big talons and they move fast and they're they have big wings and like if one was were flying around in a cave with me, I'd be freaked out no matter if it's Bob or just a regular owl. Oh, absolutely. Owls are very frightening to begin <laughs> with, especially when all their um feathers are unfurled and you see the the wingspan. Oh, goodness, terrifying. But yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely little cheesy special effects, but for me I didn't really mind it. It felt like it, it fit in with the mood well. Um, but we get this really interesting uh, scene where uh, Andy throw he tries to hit the owl with a pickaxe, I think is his goal, but he ends up slamming it into the wall, I think inside of the fire symbol, which is like at the top of where these two triangular shapes converge. Yeah. Could you figure out when you saw the, the symbol on the wall that some piece of this was going to come away to reveal something secret? Um. I gotta say, I didn't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I really did not know where this was gonna go. But looking back, yeah, it's like the very stereotypical, like, Indiana Jones. It's a Scooby-Doo kind of thing. Gotta trope. hit one of them, and yeah. one of them is gonna lock the door. Yes. Um, but they have this... I don't even know what it is. It's like a handle that comes out that has the symbol on it. Um, yeah. It kind of looked like the uh, the mouth, like the tiny mouth inside of the xenomorph that comes out of the yes, very end. coming out of the bigger <laughs> mouth. That's hilarious. Um, and, and and Cooper says, Coincidence and fate figure largely into our lives. And he also says that whatever this is, it will lead them to a place both wonderful and strange. I and, love that line, yeah. And, you know, if that isn't what Twin Peaks is, uh, a place wonderful and strange, you know, that's that, that just sums it all up right there, you know? Yeah. And the symbol on that little handle that comes out is, I don't think we've seen that before. We have not. But I, I had seen that... Um, kind of featured in like Twin Peaks artwork that I just stumbled across online. And I was like, hey, that is the one symbol that I do not know of. Yeah, (laughs) I believe like, I believe on a birthday card that you got me that was, it was was Twin Peaks themed. It had like a cup of coffee and it had some red curtains and a bunch of stuff like that. And then there, there was this, this owl cave symbol. 
Yeah. And you were like, I don't know what that means, but I'm sure you'll enjoy this. And I, I did. Uh, but now we're finally getting to what, what that actually means. So it's very exciting. Yes. Um, so only two more scenes uh, remain in this episode. Uh, and then we will, we will wrap this up. Uh, and Annie and Cooper have a little scene. I, I, lo- I love Annie kind of awkwardly ordering her uh, rum and tonic. Fuck. Yes, uh, and she she doesn't really know how to order it, and and you know because she's been in a, a convent for so long. But um, I love that she's kind of trying to get out in the real world, and she's very unsure of everything. Um, and you know, Cooper comes up, and they have a really really cute scene together. Um, and it it starts going a little dark when you know he he notices the scars on her wrist, and and she says she failed before, and. It's very ambiguous, and it goes a little bit dark, but I, I think it's still a very touching scene between the two of them. Yeah, I think it's great, because they very could very easily could have gone with this a different route, where Annie is this, uh, you know, this kind of innocent, quirky girl who is returning from the convent and isn't familiar with the world. You know, it's, it's a different place from when she left, and Cooper is this older, wiser man. Like they could have done that, like very like sexist stereotype where mm. it's like, oh, let me take you under my wing type of thing. <laughs> but I love it because they are both outsiders. You know what I mean? Like even even though Cooper has you know obviously not been confident and tucked away from the world, Cooper always operates at a very different pace than the rest of these characters. So it, they just mesh together so well. I, I I love it. Yeah, but you know, I mean, even though. Even though Cooper has been in Twin Peaks for the better part of, you know, two seasons, he's only been in Twin Peaks for, like, a month-ish. Um, and so he's still kind of like an outsider here. Um, and obviously he loves the place. But then, yeah, but then Annie, you know, grew up there, went away for a long time, and now she's back. So, yeah, they are both outsiders in ways, in, in a way, um, in their different ways, which I think is, is really cool. And I just love, I love the dynamic between the two. It's great. Yeah, and we we do get that darker note. We're, I think we saw the scar in the in the last episode. But yeah. I think we mentioned it. Um, you know, so is, is that some sort of you know, suicide attempt? Some sort of darker uh, in her past? Some sort of self harm? Don't really know, but uh, definitely like these two characters. Yeah, for sure. So the last scene in the episode uh, is just Wyndham Earl kind of stumbles into Owl Cave and turns this this symbol upside down. Uh, and something happens. The cave starts to shake. Yeah, you think at first that in? that like it's gonna do the Indiana Jones stone wall pulls away or something. Um, but yeah, he sees the inverted symbol. I think like directly it's across up near from the it. fire. I think. Yeah, yeah. On like yeah, and, and then he and then he just twists it. So we don't really know. Like a lot of Wyndham Earl's traveling, we don't know how he got there or when he got there. But he is there. And, you know, we don't know if he is familiar with this place. It seems like he isn't, because he, he, like, figures out in this scene to twist it. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, my guess is that this will open up a door somewhere. Um, so, I, you know, is this, is this the entrance to the Black Lodge? Mm-hmm. Or, or the White Lodge? You know, that's, that, that would be my guess. Uh, so, so, I'm interested to see where this goes. And it, it seems like they're kind of continually bringing Wyndham Earl and Bob kind of closer together, you know, with the, the reference that him and the one-armed man were both using the same drug yeah. and the blue book connection, and now we've got this. So, you know, they could just keep it the Bob is the representation of evil, Wyndham Earl is evil, evil, or, or we could get something 
uh, more direct. All right. Well, that was going to be kind of my my final question for the episode that was open ended. But I mean, you pretty much just just answered it right there about about Windermere, about Owl Cave, all the, all the stuff moving forward. So uh, I think we are good to wrap this one up uh, next week or next two weeks or whatever whatever our schedule is. Uh, we are talking about episode nineteen of season two, variations on relations. Um, as well as look out for uh, an, an episode that I do alone, maybe. Uh, maybe still to come, but it's it's probably out by now, uh, would be my guess. Um, so let's quick talk about our other shows on the network. Um, Matt, go for it. Yep, so our main flagship show on the network is the CTP. That's our uh, long-length uh, discussions with me, Floyd, Ryan... Wait, okay, I just messed that up <laughs> big time. Okay, <laughs> it's... Uh, Floyd and uh, Ryan... I- <laughs> For those who don't know, I, are the same person. I just floided to a whole other degree there. <laughs> <laughs> Me, Logan, Brendan, and Floyd, Floyd where squared. we uh, go in-depth into movies. We also have the CTP Movie Journal, which is me and Floyd's uh, kind of mini-podcast where we uh, talk about movie news, and we'll have our Best of the Decade episode probably out by the time this one comes out. And we've it's also so got long. the... It, it I've been, been waiting so for long. it for so long. <laughs> Highly awaited episodes. Yes. Um, we've also got Twisted Bug Mysteries, which is Brendan's spooky and occult playlist. Playlist. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Podcast. It's okay. Where he talks about everything abnormal and mysterious. So come there, all you spooky freaks. Um, <laughs> we you just called our listeners spooky freaks. <laughs> it's a compliment. We've also got Stop Wait What, which is our comedy advice podcast. I have not yet to be on that yet, but uh, all the other guys are. And they uh, take questions from Yahoo Answers and have some great characters, some great bits. So that's a lot of fun. Definitely go check that out. And by the time this is released, I think uh, I might play that. Our premier video gaming pl- pl- podcast will be out. Uh, we'll talk about Alien Isolation on that and some other fun games in the future. But yeah, Logan, if you want to talk about social media and try not to mess up as much as I did there. I will try. As I mentioned before, we are on Instagram and Twitter, at Twisted Mug Media. Uh, or uh, please DM us through those, or you can email us. Um, uh, yeah, twistedmugmedia at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, just, you know, give us a like, give us a follow, uh, you know, any, any interaction with you guys. Uh, we, we absolutely love that stuff. So, uh, uh, I, I think that's all I got uh, unless you have anything else. No, I I should be good. I'm going to go watch the next episode right now. Fantastic. All right. I'm Logan. I'm Matthew. Thanks for listening. All you spooky freaks. (laughs) Stay spooky.